Welcome. We're so glad you've taken this opportunity to grow your faith by listening to this teaching. At CLC, it is our heart to see every believer equipped to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. For more information about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. Hallelujah. Thank you very much for that warm welcome. You may be seated tonight and praise team. You did another great job. Praise the Lord. Not every church has that kind of praise and worship. We can sing in the spirit and do all that and flow and, and everybody does it. Praise the Lord. Usually they look at you like, what you doing? So, well, this is, the question is, why aren't you doing it is the question. But we're glad that you're here tonight. We had a good service this morning. I made it across the Canadian border on Friday, which was a miracle uh, because of all the new rules and regulations. They got to test you and, and, and declare it four or five times and then still ask you again. So we'll see tomorrow if America will let me back home. We'll see how that goes tomorrow. We'll see how that border goes. So, uh, But it's good to be back in Canada. And I also want to, again, publicly thank Pastor Gwen and the team for getting our ministry registered here as a charity. That is a very big uh, accomplishment. I want to say thank you for that. Uh, we tried years ago and gave up. And, uh, but it took gritty women to push it through. And uh, so we are very thankful for these glorious, gritty women. And that's a compliment, not a negative. They're, they got grit to them. And uh, so, you know, you, if you're ever in a battle, you want this one with you. You don't want her to be against you because you will lose. So praise the Lord. Amen. So if you're here from other churches, we welcome you. We're glad that you came over. Please feel comfortable to do what you feel to do, how, where you want to sit, or if you want to wear a mask or don't wear a mask, that's all up to you, okay? So there's no... One thing I want to just express in the beginning is we don't need to be judging people on mask or no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. Let's just treat everybody right in the kingdom of God and, and accept them and pray for them and let people obey their own conscience. Amen. I, I'm not a God that believes in uh, making people do this stuff. I think they should have their own rights and choices. And I think even, especially in the church, people should be free here, should be comfortable here, and not be judged one way or the other. Amen. Amen. And because I don't think this is going to get over anytime soon. I'm hoping, but I just think our governments are all on crack. And um, they don't know how to get off of their drugs and off of their power source and, and to let the people be free again. That was a joke, but you got the point, okay? So, uh, I mean, I love my country, but I don't know what's going on in my country. They don't know whether we should be this way or that way. It's like, just shut up and leave us alone. And uh, I come from the state of Florida. I live in the state of Florida. And so, and I have a, a ministry operation in California. So I live in an open state and a prison state. So I go back and forth. And so, uh, you know, so thank God for good governance and thank God for governance that's getting better. Can we say it that way? Amen. So pray. Everybody smile. Nothing bad's going to happen tonight. It's all going to be good. We also want to welcome all those that are watching online from wherever you may be. We welcome you. And please share this on your page so people can be, become a part of our service tonight. Now, I'm going to mention just a few of my books because I'm a book guy. Um, some people try to be book people and don't work for them. And uh, for some reason, God blessed my book ministry from the very beginning. Uh, we've sold about almost 17 million books in English. And they're in 60-some languages of the world, and we don't know how many are out there because those publishers don't report as good as others. So it's, it's, it's out there, and it's working. So we're very blessed. Uh, I've written 88 books. Everybody say 88. 88. I, I want for you to read 44 of them, please. Can we go half? And I write big books, little books. I have a little book here I'll mention to you of my vision of, of heaven when I was a little boy. Uh, for some reason, God gave me a visit or a trip, how you want to say, a trip to heaven, and I didn't see all of it, I saw part of it. I saw a golden street with the golden curves, the flowers next to it that hummed. 
So when you walk by the flowers and there's a humming sound that comes out of them. Now when I say that, people always think Walt Disney. And it's not Walt Disney with the little humming smiles, but every few moments the life of God flows through or the energy, whatever word you want to use, through all of heaven. When it comes to the, the flowers there, it makes a humming sound. And so when you're eight years old, you're close to the ground. When you're 40, 55 years old, you're up here in the air. So down there you hear things and you see things you don't always hear and see way up here. And uh, so that was wonderful uh, to hear the humming of the flowers. And there are birds in heaven. There are animals in heaven. So we're not going to go up there with just naked babies with bows and arrows and float in the clouds. That, those are nice religious pictures that are beautiful, and, but they're not true. Uh, who wants a naked baby to protect your life? I need a big old eight-foot creature or seven-foot angel with wings and muscles that can fly. Amen. amen. Thank you for the four amens. You don't want your angel? I'll take him. I'll, I'll use him in what I've got to do. So I want my angel to be so worn out that when we go to heaven, his feathers are almost gone. He's like, my God, I'm glad this is over. I want my angel to be worked while we're here. Amen. amen. So your angel doesn't want to go to heaven. I had a boring person down there. So please use your angel to assist you in what you're supposed to do for your life. Amen. So you'll, you'll enjoy that little book about, about heaven. I want you all to go to heaven. I don't want you to go to hell. Hell, it's not a cuss word, it's a location. All right, let me teach that. In our societies, the enemy has worked in, in our society to take words that actually brought conviction, that brought a check and balance to our conscience, and they begin to use them in ways they no longer have that effect on people. And one is hell, because hell mainly has become a curse word or a word to express gross anger. Hell. They'll say that on TV and the movies and people say those kind of things. And we no longer know it's a place we want to avoid. We now use, it, we now use that word as an expression of anger. And it's not. It's actually a place you don't want to go. Thank you for the amen, Louie, on the front row here. All right. So uh, please realize that, you know, when people say certain things, recognize it. It's like with abortion. You know, no longer is it a baby. It's a fetus, it's an embryo. So we're using medical words, which are legitimate in the medical world, but we no longer use the words that pull on our heart for the compassion of a child. We don't call it a baby, we don't call it a child. We use it, and that's how they've been able to work to disassociate your emotion, your heart, and your compassion for the unborn. And it's happening on lots of things now too, especially in Canada. You have how many different ways to identify sexually on your forms? So, oh, it grew since I was here last. It was 62 the last time. It was 78. I got to find out what the other ones are. I, I, I knew about two or three of them. The rest of them, I'm confused. I don't know what they are. So um, we, we, we're going to have to stand up in, in all of our different ways to keep a resistance to these things or it'll take over. Amen? All right. Then I wrote a book here, How to Walk in the Spirit and Not Come Out Even Though You Live in Canada. How's that? I'm joking, of course. But I wrote this book here as a teaching book because um, I felt people only got real spiritual when they were in trouble. When you're in trouble, people will pray like the house is on fire. They'll do all the things they're supposed to do, get the miracle, and then backslide again. So if we could stay in the spirit and keep that as a normal lifestyle, then we might have a different kind of life. And so that's why I wrote this book, How to Walk in the Spirit and Not Come Out. Because we don't have any verses that says, please come out. It says walk in it, live in it, stay in it. So if you're out of the spirit, you're in an, uh, an ozone layer of, of not God's will. Amen? And then we have our, mission, our, our books, 
uh, on, on revival history called God's Generals. We've got several volumes. This is a volume on missionaries. I like missionaries. They went first to some of these. Well, I wrote about those who have gone first, like David Livingston. Y'all know David Livingston? It's so sad they tell his story without the Jesus part in it. He declared himself, uh, he's known as the great African explorer that, uh, that, uh, that uh, mapped out the interior of Africa. Because in those days, in the 1800s, they knew the coastline. They had not gone into the interior, the middle part of Africa. And he was the one that God gave the burden to. And his burden was for two things, to go there and map out for two groups of people. For the British Army to be able to go into the interior of Africa and stop the source of the slave trade was one of his motives. And the next was also so the missionaries knew how to get to all the tribes and how to get there and use the rivers and things. And so that was his motive. He declared himself first a minister of the gospel, not an African explorer. His ministry was exploring Africa. And he, when he died, he, he died in Africa, and, and, and the British wanted his body back. And uh, the chiefs that had Mr. Livingston when he died, his body, didn't want to send him back really to, to England because they had declared him an African now. He was probably the first white African in all of African history because he lived with the natives, he traveled with them, he befriended them and the chiefs, and so they declared him an African. And so they didn't want to disrespect his home country, though. So the chiefs thought for a little bit, and they came up with this, what sounds like a crazy idea, but please understand their motive. Since he was African and he loved Africa, they're going to keep his heart here, and they can have the rest of him. So they, they really had a special ceremony, African style, and opened his chest and removed his heart and put his heart in, in a little, little steel box, I guess I'd call it a little steel box, where he would keep his Bible and the map so the elements wouldn't cause him to, to, to corrode and go away. And they took out all of the little writings and put his heart in that little box and buried it there next to a tree that's called the Livingston Tree today. And so his body's buried in London, hearts in Africa. When you die, would there anybody want your heart? Have you served anybody, any people group that when you die, they love you so much they want to keep a part of you with them? That's a powerful thing. So we should live that. So you'll, you'll love all these stories. We, we, we talk about uh, Hudson Taylor. He was really fun. He got kicked out. Everybody gets kicked out. <laughs> You know, it's, it's when I started reading revival history for years, like one of the common threads with everybody, including the missionaries, they get kicked out. So please join the club for the right reasons. And don't, don't get kicked out for all the wrong ones. But Mr. Hudson Taylor went to China uh, back in the days when it was very rough and tough. And, and again, they were on the, on the border, on the coastline of China, where most of the missionaries and the military was there. So it's the, the British military, some of the Dutch military. So it kind of helped keep certain attitudes uh, against the foreigners or the blue-eyed devils, as they were called, uh, there. And Mr. Li Mr. Hudson wanted to go to the interior of China, and they wouldn't let him. No, 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 there's no protection there. They'll kill you, da da da, da. So he, he had to get, leave and, and get kicked out kind of at the same time. And, and he went to the interior of Africa and did several things that revolutionized what we call modern missions today. One, he dressed like them and grew his hair like because in those days, the hairstyle for the Chinese was a ponytail. And the average Chinese man and lady usually wore kind of a black, certain kind of clothes. So he grew a ponytail, dressed like the Chinese, and learned how to eat with chopsticks and spoke their language. And after a while, they thought, well, we kind of like this guy because he didn't come changing their culture. He brought the Jesus that changes their heart. 
And so he focused on identifying with their culture, which opened the door for him to bring the gospel. And when he had to leave that part of China, it had grown by over 40% of Christians. Wow. And so he revolutionized it. Isn't that great? Will you change your lifestyle, your clothes, and your eating habits to help somebody find the Lord? These are what these people did. Let me tell you one more story. I love these stories. Plus, it's Sunday night, and you, you can't go anywhere. You just have to go back home after church. But I love the story of Amy Carmichael. Ever heard of Amy Carmichael? Love Amy Carmichael. And there's one story that I love about her above all of it is, you know, when she was a little girl, she, she had brown eyes. And she wanted her brown eyes to turn blue. And so she believed that when she would pray that night and ask the Lord to give her brown eyes a change, and she'd wake up in the morning, blue eyes, like I got blue eyes. She'd wake up with blue eyes. Well, she woke up, and her eyes were still brown. So she had a little Jesus problem for a while. Uh, but she worked it out and became a missionary. She became a, little, uh, a young adult to, to India. And she goes to India as one of the first type of UK or British island missionaries. And uh, she finds out that these place where she was, that there was a tradition that every family would give one of their children to the temple priest to have as an offering for life, and they would use them for slaves or sex slaves or whatever it was. And that made her very, very angry, very upset. So she went to the families and said, quit doing this. But when it's been done for, for generations, it's hard to break it. So that's why I admire these missions. They went first and faced all of this. Yeah. We get mad because there's no ice for our Coca-Cola over there. And so, <laughs> come please, they, they, so they don't even register. And so she... She, she goes to the temple to try to talk to the, 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 the priest of that particular religion, and they weren't having it. They liked what it was. And so she was so concerned, and there was no legal type of thing in those days. There was not a child service law. There was, those things didn't exist in that part of India at that time. So she thought, what am I going to do? And she was praying, 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 praying. And she realized she could sneak them out. So she dressed up in the Indian dress, the sari. Am I saying it right? The sari. And uh, uh, in the dress. And she went and got uh, coffee grounds and rubbed it on her face so she would turn brown. Because she was a white British girl. You know how white they are. They're whiter than us. You can spot British because they're really white. Or they're very red if they're in Florida. <laughs> you, can, you can spot the British because it's the two extremes with them. <laughs> And it's because they're like you, like you they live in the, the, the rain and that kind of stuff. So they don't have a lot of sunshine. So when they get it, they love it, and they always go back home, and they turn really red and peel and all that. And, like, there's a way to keep your tan, but they don't listen. So, but, um, so she put coffee grounds on her face so that uh, she would turn brown or have a brown complexion and walked into the temple and would put a little girl or a little boy under her dress and walk out. So she would go ever so many days or so and... Pull another one out. Eventually, you know, the people are like, where's this person at? And they begin to realize the kids are disappearing. Now, that's how she started her ministry, her ministry to children and orphanage and pulled them out of that type of terrible life. What if Jesus would have turned her eyes blue? She would have not been able to go in and do what she did. Sometimes when the Lord says no and you have a fit about it, stop and think of Amy for a moment. Jesus knew that there would come a time that brown eyes would be important to her future ministry. Even though he loved her, and he could have done it if he wanted to, but he knew that her future belonged this way, 
that one day she'd be saving little children's lives and her blue eyes would have given her away. So when you hear a no from Jesus, it's not because he's mad at you. It's because he knows something about your future that the answer for your present request may need to be no. And can you accept that? I think Amy Carmichael did and was very happy that the Lord did not answer her request as a child because he knew her future there. So maybe that'd be where I should say amen and let you all go home now. Because it's a very good point. It's a great <laughs> preaching thing. It's a great, great thing. I, I love so much about her life, but I love that story the most. Because when I read it, I thought, oh, how cute. She was one in blue eyes and da-da-da. And, and then I realized why Jesus didn't turn her eyes blue. Because she's going to help save little children in India from being slaves and taken away from their family and so forth and so on. Jesus always has a good plan. He just needs someone to work with. Can he work with you? Open your Bibles if you do have them or turn your phones on however you keep the Bible in your life to the book of Ezra. It's an Old Testament book, Ezra chapter 9. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, revival and then I'm going to share with you about what happened when I was in Nigeria this year uh, and tell about that experience and then we'll pray for some of you tonight. So that's kind of the flow of the service and I'm not in a hurry. So if you're in a hurry, well then when you can't sit no longer, then you can get up and walk. If you have to go home, may God bless you and torture you on the way home uh, before service is over. Now, I hope that you'll laugh a little bit because this morning I got some of them that wouldn't laugh at all. I'm like, okay. So we are, we are facing a very unique moment in our Christian life and a Christian experience. We are facing it, uh, and I'm sure it's like this up here, but I'll, I'll use America in this way. First, because of a culture war that we're in. And I think Canada is in a culture war too. I think Europe's been in one longer than we have. And so we are facing an, an, a new day and a new way of living, dealing with the constant battles of a culture uh, that's in conflict. Uh, we're having darkness wanting to take charge of our culture in all ways in its liberty and to take over and make everybody that is conservative or traditional to be the odd, the wrong, the crazy, like in California and mainly in America. If you are straight, you are there's something wrong with you. You got to have some alternative lifestyle to be part of the the in group. Now you got to be gay, trans, or something, or or one of these what is it, eighty two things you said, or seventy some things they got, and it's crazy. You know they don't even want to tell the little kids anymore when they're a little boy when they're born. You're a boy. You'll be a man. Well, he might not be. Are you a dumb parent? Good evening, everybody. Please quote me and make everybody mad because I'm saying this. It's ridiculous that we're scared to speak up on some of these things. That it's not even what I would call a Christian issue. It's called a natural observation issue. When you're born, you're born male or female. And God gave you, hopefully, two parents that were wed together by God's drawing and union. And they brought forth you and the other sibling of yours out of love. And they're supposed to be your parent. And when they have you and your little girl, your little boy, mom and dad are supposed to tell little girls how they're supposed to live and to be. And when they become young ladies, what that means. And they're supposed to tell little boys. Here's what little boys are. Here's what little boys do. And when they become men, they operate like this. Amen. And we don't live in confusion. Amen. And we got parents today that I'm not going to tell my child that. Somebody's going to tell them something. And it should be you first. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? That's why our governments want to own our children and not you. Our rights have to be fought for. So we're living in a culture war.
We're living in a, in, in a very interesting time. We're living also in a time of rewriting histories. We're living in a moment in our, in our present nations that they're rewriting our history. They are exaggerating the, the bad and forgetting the good. All right? My country has a lot of good and bad, but she is more good than bad. And if you let the American people operate freely, they will correct every social ill honestly and correctly and, and right. You don't have to make them do it. They will do it on their own as it just comes to their attention. Does that make sense? So we're in, we're in a battle of revisiting our history and changing it. It's also coming to the church. And you're going to have to stand up against it. And being a church historian, I have a certain battle that I, I'm on that front line. And I, I love being there. And these young little folks pop up. and No, bam. You do not understand history by Wikipedia. <laughs> Can everybody say amen to that? Amen. And But all the school teachers, please tell people how to sort through the garbage on the Internet and find the real thing. That's why I still go back to the books. I like to go back to the books because it's there. You can look it up and you can read it. And it's not been changed or altered. And we are facing also the, the, the fear factor of our time with the COVID uh, pandemic. We were told by Jesus that plagues would come. Yeah. So would all the end time prophecy people take out their pen and check the box, the pandemic has started. The, the, the plague prophecy is coming to pass in our lifetime. And so we should not be that surprised. And we're going to find as we go forward that the church, because we have a relationship with God and his, his heart to help us and protect us and to keep us healthy and to heal us, we have a greater freedom and a greater joy while others who don't have this relationship have a more of a greater fear and they do weirder things to protect themselves. So we're living in a society of two kinds of responses. The Christian response is not to be stupid but not to live in fear. You know, I decided in last year or earlier this year, I thought, you know, I'm going to act like there's no virus, yeah. and then I'm going to act like there is a virus. So how do you do that? Well, I learned it from Ben-Gurion. You ever heard of Ben-Gurion? I'm going to take my time here tonight. Ben-Gurion was Israel's first prime, modern prime minister. He's got the weird hair. You've ever seen the little guy with the bald on top of the hair that kind of shoots out like he belongs in a Marvel's comic book kind of thing, you know? He's got, and he was a very fascinating man, and they were working on getting Israel to be a state for a long time. And in the middle of their journey to help Israel become a, a nation, World War II broke out. Right in the middle of their moving forward and all the progression to the speeches and all the things and the things were moving toward it. And World War II broke out. And, and so the group that was around him said, what are we going to do? And he goes, we're going to do this. We're going to act like there is not a war and keep pushing. And then we're going to act like there is a war and do our part. And that's what we have to do here today, too. We're going to have to know that there is a virus and do our part. And then we have to right, there's not one and keep on going. Amen. If not, we're going to move into a controlled life and a church that is, that is very weak and not strong. And that is not God's plan. It's time for us to shine. Now, in the middle of all these things I just mentioned that most of you know, we have Ezra chapter 9. And verse 9, I want to read to you because... As North Americans, we've had revival movements, and we've led the earth in Christian revivals for a few hundred years. I hope we continue, at least while I'm alive. Yes. I want to stay in the front lines of this. Amen. But for the first time, I think we're experiencing to have to have a revival during times of gross conflict and, and battles like what we're facing. Because God can have a revival at the same time all this chaos is going on. But we're not used to that because 
what we were persecuting in the past were so small they didn't even really affect many of us. Now it's a little bit of a different story, but we have a verse here that talks about revival in difficult times. Verse 9 says, We were bondmen or we were slaves, yet God did not forsake us in our bondage. He extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Israel, or the kings of Persia, to give us a reviving. Hallelujah, there's your word revival. To give us a reviving. Number two, to set up the house of our God. Number three, to repair the desolations thereof. And four, to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Now, all of that was done while they were still under bondage and slavery. So for me, that verse speaks like this to me. That we can have a revival during times of great bondage and craziness. Because our view is that God's going to deliver us from our bondage, set us on a free mountaintop, and have a good life. Now, he does that sometimes. Most of the time. But there are times where God says, I'm not going to move you out. I'm going to give you strength to be in it and stay right in the middle of it. That's what's happening right now. The revival of the present is not a deliverance from all these things. There is an anointing to thrive in the middle of the chaos. And that's what this verse kind of explains. It says, uh, God gave them uh, mercy with the kings of Persia, pagan kings, demonic type of activities. And while they were in that time period, God gave them mercy. God moved where they could do what they needed to do in the midst of that chaos, in the midst of that bondage. He gave them the ability to revive to have a reviving while they were in bondage or in a difficult situation. He had, gave them the ability to set up the house of God, yeah. to set up the way it's supposed to be set up and run it the way it's supposed to be ran. Come on. He gave them the power to set it up yeah. while they were still slaves, mm. while they were in a difficult time. Then it says, to repair the desolations. Areas where things have been broken down or have been reworded and, and redone that it's not scripture right, to go in there and reset, in other words, the foundations yes. of truth and how to respond to the truth. And to give us a wall yes. around Judah and around Jerusalem for God to put up that great wall around us that we have a, we have our, you know, why would a foreign nation let another nation build a wall around its capital city? Only God can do that. So God's going to give us the ability to build his kingdom right here in Canada in spite of the government, in spite of all the newspapers, in spite of all the concerns and all the fears. You are God's people who God is gracing in the middle of this season of crisis. And so let's build. Let's revive. Let's repair. Let's have some fun. And quit being afraid of all the things you hear on the news. Turn it off. Do once a week for 15 minutes and then pray. I was so much into the news, I finally said, you know, this is crazy. I'm spending more time in the news than I am with my Bible. It's amazing. And we give a deeper inclining our ear to the news than we do to the Word of God. Proverbs says, incline your ear to my sayings. Don't incline your ear to the saying of the news. Just get the headlines real fast and then run. (laughs) All right. Praise the Lord. Let's go to Isaiah. Let me read a few more verses to you. Uh, Isn't that a great verse in Ezra? Love that verse. I just think it's wonderful. I've, I heard it, it was read in a sermon. I thought, oh, where's that verse at? Because I never saw it like that. And when they read it in the, as a sermon text, I thought, that's a revival verse in, a, in an odd situation. Yes, yes. 
you know. In, in, in Isaiah 8 and verse 18, I want to give this to you. I love this verse too. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and for wonders. We are. They were made for signs and wonders. Isaiah 8, 18. So I wanted to tell to you, just give this verse speak to you, that we are made for signs and wonders. Hallelujah. It is a part of our natural disposition as Christians. Amen. He said, the children, I and the children whom the Lord has given me, are made for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts. So if they were made for signs and wonders, why aren't we? We're the same children of God. And so our lifestyle includes signs and wonders. It includes supernatural activity. Amen. It is not the odd case of the supernatural. It should be the norm yes. of the supernatural in our life. Yes. We are made for signs and wonders, so it should not be an oddity whatsoever. Go over to Isaiah 28, and we'll look at this verse and, and verse 21. Isaiah 28 and 1. Are you all here? Are you happy? Yes. Are you mad? Okay, good. I'll keep working. See, that was a joke that bombed. All right, there we go. I love this verse, the latter part of the verse. It says that he may do his work and his strange work and bring to pass his act and his strange act. To me, that's a revival verse too. It declares to us that God has a normal act, a normal work that is happening, and then the strange or the unusual or the uncommon works of God and acts of God. And so when we talk about revival, we talk about the move of God, we have to accept the normal provision and the normal care of God in our life. That for some reason, things just keep working for you. They just don't fall apart like others do. They just keep working for you. And, and that, that's normal. There's times when I look at my friends and some of their lives are going kind of haywire and I look at mine and I'm like, well, mine's okay. And to me, that's great. I'm glad mine's normal. I don't know what you've been doing, but I guess whatever I'm doing, it's working. Amen. And so I'm proud and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to accept the normal works and acts of God, the normal activity, provision, care, protection, joy in our families, all the things that we, just the normal work of God. But then there's the strange or the unusual or the uncommon outside of the ordinary and we need to be open to that too. And I love when God does the unusual acts and the unusual works around me or for me or through me. Those are tremendous. Amen. I had the great privilege this year to take my first overseas trip for the first one I had in two years. Because of COVID, it stopped, as you know, international travel. And so um, I'm usually overseas almost like every other month because I'm, I'm, I'm a world citizen. I chose to live that way. Some people just want to be Canadian. I want to be a world citizen. I want to be among the peoples of the world, the nations of the world, the cultures of the world. And I've done that since I was a teenager. And I don't plan to change because I'm middle-aged and fat. I plan to keep on going. Can't hint to the rest of you in the room. It's amazing when you get to a certain age, like, well, I'm tired. Well, take a pill. Or lose some of the extra that's making you tired, if I can be that blunt. And I'm speaking to myself on that. Everybody smiled on that one. I got a little bit of reaction there. But uh, I had the privilege of, of going... Uh, to, to Nigeria, when I, I'd been there before years ago, and I didn't like it. Uh, you know, I've been to 127 countries, so I've, I, I, I've been to over half the world. There's only like 198 or sometimes 200 countries, so I've been to over half of the world, uh, and some of them multiple times. So I love the world, I just don't like the airplanes. 
especially now. You have to almost look like a mummy while you're on them for hours. It's not fun at all. And so I got this invitation to come to Nigeria, and I'm thinking, I don't really want to go to Nigeria. Let's go to, you know, Hawaii. You ever think like that? Lord, I'll go and sit on the beach for a couple of days, and then I'll go minister to the natives, the Hawaiians. You know, and obviously that happens, but not when I do it like that. So, I, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll come. And I was invited. The one reason why I did accept the invitation, it is the largest church building in the world. It's a 100,000 seat auditorium. We have some pictures I'm going to show you. If we can show the, the, the little yellow globe uh, top one. Uh, is that hither or thither? Who, who's my picture person? There it is. All right. That's, uh, that's why it was still being built, but you can see the size of the building. This building is two football stadiums under one roof. So think for a minute, an American football stadium of 40,000, 50,000 people, and it's two of them. It's like Super Bowl Sunday, as we call it in the States, and it's that big stadium with all those people in it. That's what this church is, but it's two of them under one roof. It took $6 million U.S. dollars to build the yellow to have the roof where it doesn't have poles holding it that had to do it. And it was all paid for by the Nigerians, not the Canadians or the Americans or the British. Is that a, that, that's, that's, a, that's a big miracle because most of the time our, our missionaries used to go to Africa and make the people be beggars. That, that They brought everything. We brought everything. So they got into the routine that the missionary brings everything. Well, now it's changed where they've learned how to prosper by good work and by sowing and reaping. Enough to have that building paid for. It's paid for now. So it's 100,000 seats. So I thought, I've never been invited to a 100,000 seat church before. So I should say yes and, and go. So I did say yes, and I went. And I thought to myself, I thought, well, maybe they're like the Americans. You know, we, we, we have 100 people. We have 180 people. We, we are very evangelistic in the way we report stories. And so I thought, well, maybe that's what I'll find there. And it won't be 100,000. It won't be 60,000. That's still big. But it's not the biggest church in the world. But it is real. I got that. They, they flew me. Let me show you how they flew me. They flew me first class from America there round trip without me asking. I didn't even ask. I, don't, I usually don't do that. I usually just buy regular and then I upgrade with my miles and things like that. But I, I want to give a testimony of what revival does to a nation. From an African nation that lived most of its life in the sense of help me, help me, help me. It is now turned. And it's turned for God's people first. And so they, they flew me that way. I thought, well, sure, I'll take it. I'm not going to resist it. <laughs> you know, you're going that far. And I had back surgery about three years ago, so my, I was in having a back checkup, and I said, I'm going to Nigeria here in about two months. And, and he goes, oh, why are you going over there? I said, well, I'm going to go preach in this big old church. And, and he goes, I don't think you should do that. I said, I didn't ask you that. <laughs> Talk to me about my back, not my calling. He said, well, I, I'm concerned that you have to sit so long. Uh, let me give you some pain pills. So he wrote me a prescription of pain pills. So I got them. So I had my little pain pills in my bottle. I could sell these and pay rent. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. No wonder, I don't know if it's the same in Canada as it is in America. We have a drug, uh, prescription drug problem, uh, addiction problem. That it's not just the folks out illegal. It's the folks that are getting the legal drugs from the doctors too much, and they become addicted to them. So when I had my back surgery, they gave me almost 200 morphine pills. I went to the doctor and said, thank God we had some medical sense and I'll take all of these, but I'd be an addict and be crazy by now. I said, I'm going to sell these on the street and pay my rent for a few months. So I did that to shock. I said, doctor, I mean, I love that you're wanting to care for me. He goes, I just didn't know we'd give you that. Man, I said, sir, 
You did. Here's the remainder. I only took six of them because they're terrible. They make you feel weird. And they give you wrong kinds of visions. <laughs> Amen. So I said, don't ever give me them again. So I had back surgery and, and it was successful, but I had around my, my back area, one of my vertebrae got mad and popped out. I had a bulging disc is what happened. And it's a little bitty thing like that, but it hits that nerve and it says hello. And it says hello for a really good long time and loud. And so I went and had surgery. It took 45 minutes, walked in, had the surgery. A few hours later, walked out without any pain. It's great. But there was like arthritic stuff that they said came in, so they want to give me all that. So I, I got on the plane, and I went to Nigeria, and they had to do all this COVID stuff. They ought to take your test and do the, you know, do your nose thing and go way up there and hurt you. And, and, and so I did all that, and, and you had to do it when you went through the airport in London to do a transfer to the plane. You had to do the same thing. You had to do it in Nigeria. So it was crazy. I thought, I don't like this. It's enough trouble getting a visa. Now you got to get a visa and all this. And so I land. And they put me in a nice hotel and things. And, and so I'm, I walk into the, to the church here and I meet the pastor for the first time. And so, you know, I have a certain kind of personality, as you can tell. And so um, over in Nigeria, they, 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 this is what they say. All of them say it. The Christian leaders say it. There's two books you read, the Bible and God's generals. And so that's how much that general's book, the first one I wrote, became so powerful there that I'm very influential. Didn't know how influential I was because I wrote a book and they all read it and loved it. So they were coming to see me. That's me and Pastor Paul. Uh, that's his daughter behind him. They have him and his wife dressed in the same colors and they're in different clothes in every service. I like to see their closet. Uh, and... and <laughs> But that's uh, Bishop Paul. And so uh, I, I talked to him, and I'm walking, and I said, I have a question. I said, how can Nigeria have a great revival and be known as revival nation, and at the same time, the most corrupt conning nation in the whole world? <laughs> have you all heard about be careful Nigerians? Because yeah. they know how to con money out of you and do all those kind of things. Well, it's true. And, and they're so good at it, the other Africans are scared of them too. <laughs> and they all do it over there. And so, and so he just he goes, I don't know, but we're trying to get them saved. That's the only way we're going to change it. Amen. I thought, good answer. But the, the oddity to me is here we have uh, Nigeria is possibly the leading revival nation in the world today, except for China. I think China may be on the top, but we don't know. It's a closed society. But so Nigeria is the one. They have large churches. Now, the church here is not the largest church in Nigeria. It's the largest building. That's just a part of the auditorium. You don't see the part that's over here. That's church. That's not a conference. It's not a field. That's every morning at 6 a.m. They have 20 to 30,000 people coming to a prayer meeting every morning. And this is, this is the conference. This was the conference I was speaking at. So just leave that picture there for a moment. So that they, they, you, you go in and, and there's 100,000 live Africans. Now that means they're not Canadians. Canadians are like the British. They're very nice and polite and very reserved. Africans are like that. They're, whoa, and they do all their thing, and, and it's great because everybody worships God from the front row to the balcony yeah. with all their might. Yeah. Not just, even the old ladies yeah. wiggling. The kids are jumping. It's like, we should put this on TV in America and just shock them. Yeah. Put this on TV and say, this is called church that we used to have in America. The God that I grew up with is in Africa now. He left America. When I, when I went over there, I thought, this is the God I grew up with. This is how we acted in church, how we prayed. I thought, I want to come over here and live for a while. This is, I don't know why he left North America, but he went to Africa. He's having a great time. But 
in Nigeria, we have the world's largest church now called the Redeemed Church of 2 million people. So Dr. Cho in South Korea is no longer the largest church in the world. He went to heaven this year. You all know he, he graduated. We lost another great general, but he, he built that great church there. Almost a million, but didn't quite get there. It was close. And so now the Nigerians have come and taken over church growth. And so there's a big church. When they have a prayer meeting, they have bought land outside the city. They're in big, big, huge land acreages. So when they have a prayer meeting, a half a million people show up to pray all night. And so there's nothing in the city that can handle a half a million people all at one time. So they have to go outside the city and buy big land and create a, a kind of a camp kind of thing, the big stage. And they have an all night prayer with a half a million people. And we can't get you to come to church on time and pray for 20 minutes. And they pray all night. I, I'm going to try to convict you tonight. <laughs> Just because that's the way we used to be. Canada, can, yes. Canada and America yep. used to have all night prayer meetings where you prayed all night. I mean, I was a youngster. My grandmother was you know, the old school. And when we had all night prayer meetings, in the prayer meeting, when you went to the bathroom, you kept praying in tongues on the way in and on the way out. You didn't stop praying. You prayed all night long. You didn't pray for an hour and have some cookies and tea and talk about what's going on and then pray a little bit more. That is, that's not called an all night prayer. That's called backsliders. That's the way the old timers looked at it. And we may want to return to that view could it keep us going? Well, we're just modern. Modern and stupid. Modern and powerless. Modern and empty churches compared to this. And so there, there's another church in, in Port Harcourt that's 230,000. And there are other big churches there. This just happens to be the world's largest church building at this time. There's a guy in Nigeria trying to build a 200,000 seat church auditorium. I don't understand, but I just accept, you know. And so it's, it's very, very, very amazing. So I, I went there, and, and so when I was there, I, I, I wanted to first see, was there really 100,000 people there? And there was. The last night was the most powerful night for me, was the all-night prayer meeting. It started at 9 p.m. and ended at 5 a.m. So I thought, you know, American thinking, about midnight, these people up here will start disappearing, going home because they're hungry, the kids are crying, and <laughs> all the stuff. Uh, no. There was 10,000 people on the outside still trying to get in that had to listen to speakers on the outside for an all-night prayer meeting. Then I wanted to see, what do they do in an all-night prayer meeting? Well, actually, they pray all night. That's what they do. And when they do stop, they'll worship for a little bit, have a few testimonies, maybe uh, stop again a little bit later and have an exhortation from the Word. But may they pray. And how did they pray? I wrote down 20 different things about the Nigerian revival that to me constituted that it was a revival. One was how they prayed. Nigerians today in this church and other churches like it, they all pray like they're on fire and enjoying it. Loud, aggressive, with their arms slinging and their feet kicking. And they're going at it, I mean, for an hour and a half and, and then breathe and go to get another. We got to get this on TV. People won't believe this. Because the little kids are doing it. Grandma's doing it. The middle aged, the young adult, they're all praying like that in tongues. In tongues. In tongues. I mean, just going out with no shame. There is an aggressiveness about their passion. They actually believe that when they pray, something happens. And the more aggressive they pray, the more authoritative they pray, the more the breakthrough happens, the stronger it is and faster it comes is the mindset, which I don't disagree with. Yeah. 
You say, Brother Lawrence, I don't pray like that. And that's why you don't have that. Right. Now, in the, in the church, they, they have a, a very strong testimony uh, side to them where people testify what God's done for them. Well, I was there, too mentally ill, crazy people. They call them mad people in Africa. Lost their mental faculties, faculties got their minds back during the service. Their minds snapped back into full sharpness and articulation and everything, and, and they were back in their right mind, two, two of them that testified. So you're seeing miracles like that happening all the time. The praise and worship starts high and gets higher, where our worship in our countries starts down here. Wow. And we stop. Now, you're a little different, but this is typical, and we think it's wonderful. They, they, they would even call that worship. they go, what is that? Worship to them is they go, ha, they start up there. Even when they do a solo, they start up there. That's where they live. They live up there in the high praise, the high worship, and the total giving of yourself to when you're ministering in song or preaching or whatever. Can you say amen to that? And so I first was, because I was, to be honest, I was going through a thought pattern and, 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 and thinking, well, maybe I'm just, what I had when I was a kid, maybe it's really gone. Maybe it's, it's just going to happen. Maybe, maybe I'm just being weird. Maybe I'm out to lunch. When I went to Africa, I found I was having a good lunch. <laughs> I was not crazy. I wasn't out to lunch. I was having a great time. And that y'all are weird, not us. And we have to come to those points and realize sometimes the things we've accepted has been a compromised acceptance and it has not been pleasing to the Lord as he would like for it to be. Does that make sense? And so I walked in and had the all night prayer and they prayed all night and I was the first one to leave. Nobody left. They took out the guest speaker first because when you dismiss 110,000 people, it calls a traffic jam for hours. And so they take you out first, and I'm, I was thankful of that. Uh, but, got out, but I was watching the people on the outside, and the people on the outside were doing the same thing as the people on the inside. It was a part of their culture. When I was in the hotel in Nigeria, I'd go down for breakfast, and because I was on different time zones, I was usually there the first one to have breakfast, and I'd been up for five hours. And so I walk in, and I hear the workers, the waitresses and the cooks, in behind the door, praying for God to bless the people coming to eat and God to help them. And you would go outside to the little gift shop and they'd be praying too in the morning. And I'm like, we got prayer meetings all over the Hilton Hotel. <laughs> the guys behind the little bars with the juice and the, you know, the croissants and all that stuff, they're right there. <laughs> you don't even have to go to church. Just walk out of your room and go downstairs and you got it all going on. This is what's happening as a cultural thing. It's not just in one kind of group of Christians over here. It's happening in every part of society. The revival in Nigeria is not coming. It has come. And it is happening right now. It's on steroids walking down Main Street. And it's happening all over the country. And, and, and it's very, very exciting to me. Uh, let me just give you a few more. You enjoy my little report? I just wanted to give you, because sometimes you've got to hear what's happening. And I just want to take out that because you're all, we've been friends and I've preached here many times. So I thought, I'm going to just do this. Um, they, when they preach, I've noticed, because I'm a revivalist store and I go places and I'm not being critical, but I'm always observing and watching and learning. And so some places you go, like I go to prophetic movement, prophetic meetings, I'm like, and nobody opens the Bible. 
They make reference to it as a side issue in their dream, their vision, the smell they felt or whatever is all the big thing. They're talking like, that's why I quit going to prophetic meetings and somebody please open the Bible. Don't give me a word until you can quote a Bible verse to me. That was my attitude. Well, that's not very nice. Well, it's not nice to go to a camp meeting or a service of God and nobody opens the word of God and at least reads a verse and teaches you something out of the word. Yeah. Ah. See, well, we're being prophetic. You're being pathetic. <laughs> prophetic people have to operate in the law of word and spirit agreement and that the word goes first. And if you don't teach the word, then all the prophetic people become goofy like where most of them are today. Because they all need their butt spanked with chapter and verse. Please quote me and share this a lot online, okay? See, that's, that's why they love me and they hate me because I talk like this. See, some of you think this way, but you're too Canadian. You won't say it. You just like, <laughs> you know? But they, they, they have, in Nigeria, they have a a very strong preaching of the word, that the word is the foundation and that the people know the word themselves. They can quote Bible verses to you. They can give you understanding. They can interpret scriptures. And so, because I tested it. I talked to my drivers. I talked to the ushers. I talked to the people that got through the FBI lines. I talked to them. And so I tested it. And they knew the word because the preachers had been teaching the word. And the service I was in, they were word-based sermons that ended in signs and wonders confirmation that what was preached God approved of. That's what it says in in the book of St. Mark in the Great Commission that he will confirm what is preached with signs following. If there's no signs following, it may be God don't agree with you. Just a thought. It's true. I always evaluate my life and say, is the signs of wonder stronger, getting weak or disappeared? And then one way where I check into my own life, am I preaching more layered in opinion or is the word and the word of the Lord being dominant over my own personal feelings? Because God don't confirm my feelings. He confirms his word. And the more you preach the word, the more he'll confirm that and the more the signs of wonder start. But they were very strong on that. Another thing I noticed about the Nigerian Bible, they honored their leaders tremendously. Where here in our countries, we have the right to tear them down, is the way we think. The African Nigerian people have a respect for the man or woman of God that God has given them in their life and takes them very seriously as a part of their life. That they want to make sure that what they do is right in scripture and right with the church that they're a part of, and even to make sure that what they did, they can get to the, the leadership and find out what's going on. And so they love their leaders. I tested them. I tried to get them to criticize them. So what, what, what about this? See, I know how to talk and make people gossip. I've been a preacher all my life. I know how Christians work. So I tested them because I saw this great honor that they give to their leaders and they gave to me, which is almost shocking, you know. And I, at first I didn't know how to handle it. I'm like, don't do that. You know, but some of it was African culture, you know, how they will kind of kneel or bow or do that. Some of that is just a part of the culture, so you have to process it. But it's very unnerving to me. So, but I had to smile, <laughs> thank you. And you know, what do you do when somebody bows to you? Like, you bow back or what do you do? I don't know what the African thing was, but I said, thank you and, 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 and been friendly and, and be nice. And, and, and they give honor to their leaders tremendously. They're not just somebody that's in their life where they want to get married or bury somebody. Because in America, the valuing and probably in Canada, the valuing and the honoring of our pastors 
it's become an all-time low. We almost think we have a right to walk over them and not listen to them. They didn't, they, God didn't put them under you. He put them over you. Do you notice I got three amens, one from a pastor? Because it doesn't, if you just said that in Nigeria, you go, amen. That amen, yes, that's right. But here, notice how you responded. When I gave the scripture, God gave us shepherds over our life. Not shoulder to shoulder and not under us, but over us. To what? To protect us, to cover us, to help direct and guide us. Not manipulate, control, and hurt and harm you. But somebody, people feel today that when you're being corrected or being admonished to go a certain way and not the way that you're going, you're hurting me. No, you're getting a spanking. And I guess it does hurt, but it's your ego. I want to do what I want to do. Well, go ahead and do it and see what you got. Good preaching, Brother Roberts. Amen. Amen. And if your pastor comes in and says, don't walk that way, walk this way. The word says this. Let's correct what we're doing here so we get a better, a better end result. Well, you're, you're, you're controlling me. Some people should be controlled. They're crazy. Until they learn how to walk right and keep their rightness, you're going to have to have a, a hand around them to help them until they get there. Are you here? I know that isn't over in the Canadian culture, but I'm not Canadian. I'm a rude American. And I'm a Pentecostal preacher on top of that. So that, put that together, you got a, you got a volcano. I like being under. There's, the scriptures talk about us being under things that we may go over. So if you're not under certain things, you can't go over other things. We're under the blood of Jesus. We're under his authority. We're the sheep of this pasture. We're under him. And when we're under him, we get to overcome or overgo these other negative things in our life. So you've got to come under to go over. And you've got to like that. All right. You all need to go with me to Nigeria and I'll let you go sit with them and talk to them. And they'll tell you, how dare you say that about your pastor? Because I tried to get them to criticize the church. You like the church that big? It's really loud in there, isn't it? Because if you think this was loud, it's so loud my ears would ring for about two hours afterwards. You have 100,000 people, and I'm on the front row, so the speakers are right there. I thought, I need a healing for my ears. And those little ear things will really not work here. You need four or five, push them all the way down in there. To, <laughs> It was that loud. I thought, how do these people survive? But it works for them. Are you enjoying this tonight? Yes. They, they, they were also people that believed in decrees. There was something I noticed about them, the decree, the, the, the decree of the Lord and decreeing the scriptures. Or we would say declaring or confessing the word, but they took it to the world of decree. They had a, another authority. They decree it. And it comes from when a king gives a decree, it shall be. Amen. And they are decreeing what the Lord has said and the king has said and we're little kings and and we're going to let it fly. And they get in there when they start decreeing, they start, and they, start they act like your pastor. <laughs> Loud. They have their little African ways. They, they do things. But they, but they have a strong faith with it. It's not just an act. It's a, it's a real thing. And the devil shall not have our country. Yes. 100,000 people praying that and doing that. That's why Nigerian is changing. It's, it's exciting. So they, they had an understanding of decree that was very amazing. 
I, I thought was great. Now, in revivals too, how do we deal with demons? Because if there's no demons, it's not a revival. Okay? So why do you say that? Well, when you read the scriptures and you read revival history, there is always demons reacting, manifesting, and doing. So if you have a move of God with no demonic activity, I'm not sure you're having a revival. You might be having a little glory, glory glow crowd, you know, something come through, but it's not a revival because demons react. So I thought, where are the devils at with 100,000? That's what he's to leave, you know, a couple thousand full of the devil out there. You're just thinking that way, especially we're in Africa. And, um, and so I'm, I said, Lord, I want to see how they deal with demons because you're up front and, you know, when you have 100,000 people and, and you're up there, they, they, they pretty much keep you very secure. I call them the FBI agent ushers, you know, the people that operate in that world. And so you couldn't get out, and I couldn't just walk through the crowd freely. And so I had to, you know, I understood and, and obeyed the best I could. And because um, sometimes I always want to go out and say hi to folks. I'm a friendly guy. I'm a southerner from, you know, I was raised in Oklahoma by North Carolina parents. Right? I'm not a rude New Yorker or a weird Californian. I'm a southern conservative. And I like everything about that word. Okay? So we're friendly folks. We like to talk. We like to get to know people. And, and so I'm very much like, they, they want to shake my hand. I'll shake your hand all day long. I, I enjoy that. I'm in ministry because I actually like people. I don't know how people can be in ministry and not like people. That's called a bad preacher. They need to either quit and just, you know, do something else or go get rebaptized or something and get it fixed. And so I'm standing there and one night during the, the, the evening meeting, they were all singing and dancing, and they all, some of them come up, can come up in the front of the big altar space there. Let's see if you can give me the, altar, the front one. There's a huge altar space. So they'll open it up, let people come down and sing and dance and fill it up. It's real exciting. And uh, they all had these little head ushers that stand right here like they're the FBI agents, and they don't move. They're like statues. And they're watching everything, and that's what their job is. And so this one usher was standing not far from me, and a lady fell on the ground and began to do demon stuff. I thought, ooh, we got one. <laughs> and it was a real good African demon. It was a high slithering and screaming and yeah, doing all kinds of thought, ooh, we got a good one. <laughs> so I just sat there and looked American like, what are we going to do? And um, so the little usher guy kept like, and he's like, like this, and I thought, what's he going to do? Or, or is he going to be a pastor, or, or we just ignore it, and, 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 and it, you know, well, I don't know. I bet I'm finding out. So this little usher guy was so funny. He's not supposed to leave his post, but the demon thing's bothering him, I can tell. And I'm like, good, 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 let's see what happens. And so, so he, he finally made the decision to leave his post, which meant our whole section was now vulnerable to invasions of thousands of people. And he jumps down on the floor in his little suit. They all had their little same color coat. And it's really nearly nice and done. Very American that way. And, uh, and they, he flipped them over and jumped in the middle of them. And put his head, his hand on their head and one on his belly and just said something in tongues or Afrikaans. I don't know what it was, but it sounded like tongues to me. Out! And the person, like, you know, when the devil comes out, they look like they're dead. And he kind of says, wake up, picks him up and says, dance. And he goes back to his post and does his job. I thought, I like this. That's how we deal with demons. So that was fun to be in the, in the church there to watch them do that. Because if you don't cast out devils, you get a lot of them. 
Can you say amen? amen? Now, I'll give you two more things, and I'm going to tell you my testimony because I got healed while I was there. And so they have pushy faith. <laughs> right now, pushy faith. Not pleasant faith, not Canadian or American faith, not Baptist faith or Pentecostal. They have pushy faith. Have you ever met an African? Most, of them are very, most Africans are pushy. Nigerians are extra pushy because they believe they have a right to get their miracle. If you're in a dead crowd and you have a prayer of healing and they're sick, they'll get healed when nobody else does because they go after it. They're very pushy people. They push into the spirit to get what is theirs. And they don't mind pushing through you and by you in the spirit or in the natural. They're very pushy people. And since I was a speaker, they would push me to pray for them. It took me sometimes almost 45 minutes to go from the office to the car at the church because they'd find you. And they'd grab your hand and put their hand on that. Well, that means pray for them. So I did the summer all prayer. Be blessed! Because that's all the time I had. Because we had about 100 people to go to get to the car, and I'm tired. And it's so hot in that place. And I don't like heat, but most of the world... Goes to church in heat. So I had, and you notice you have to wear a suit over there. I don't know why the casual dress has not gotten to Africa yet. Because that's the one place it should show up. You're wearing suit and ties. Now, they have air conditioning in that big building. Because I asked, the air conditioning bill, the electric bill is around 150000 a month. Wow. Well, it seats 100,000 people. You know, you know, so it's a big deal. But what it really means, you go from 90 to 70. <laughs> You don't go down here to below zero like we have in our malls and our, our way we do it here. And so you, you, for the body, the American body, the North American body, you walk in there and they're all nice and they're not sweating and you're dripping. Yeah. And I'm like, I, when I got done preaching, I left and went into the office because I brought a change of clothes uh, to, to, put back, to go back in because church will go for another two hours after you get done because uh, it's just hot. Now, Americans, Canadians, you're going to have to learn how not to let your flesh dictate your participation in the move of God. Sometimes we have hindered our receiving of God because it was not comfortable for our flesh. It's not, we don't like the seat. We don't like the building. We don't like where it's at. We don't like the air conditioning. We don't like the music. It's too loud. When you, when you were a sinner, you didn't ask that when you went to the clubs. When you were a crazy, rotten, strung-out sinner, on Friday nights, Saturday nights, you go to the, the, the Canadian clubs. You didn't pick the quietest club to go to. You picked the loudest, the most packed in there. And when you walked inside, the music was so loud, your clothes vibrated on you because it was so loud. Is that not true? And when you got saved, you picked the deadest, dippiest thing in town and joined it. Why didn't you pick the loudest, the craziest, fun church in town and join that one? Just have the same demand, but just have a different spirit. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. All right. Uh, altar calls were a part of their every service. People got said They never assumed that an altar call was not needed, and they gave altar calls. They lived in the fivefold ministry. And the other thing I'll, I'll mention here, they are generous people. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. It, it, it was shocking. Because I was known there, and pastors would want to see me, so I only preached at, uh, I was there about four days after my, 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 my seminars. I stayed for some extra days to visit friends, and they heard I was still in the hotel. So they all wanted to see me. So I thought, I'll just sit in the little lounge, and I'll talk to three or four a day. I'll do an hour to each one. 
So I just, I said, told the, just book them here, start at 11 o'clock and finish about 3, 4 o'clock and do about an hour each. Just kind of rotate them like that and I'll talk to the pastors or they come and just sit here and then I'll keep drinking my little water and my cup of tea and we'll just have a good time talking. Now, that's what I do many places I go. But in Nigeria, when I did it, they all brought me money. And I didn't say you had to pay me. I did, I did it because I wanted to meet. They brought me a minimum of $1,000. And I'm like, I didn't know. And they got hurt because I wouldn't take the money. And I'm like, oh, I said, you can see me free of charge. I'm not charging for this. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you want to see me. Let me just, you know. no, no, we must honor you and so but we want to sow a seed. And that concept of seed sowing was so strong that I had to adjust my whole mindset because by not receiving it, I was hindering them. And they were, one guy cried. You won't, I thought, yes, I'll take it. You know, I, I just didn't want people to think that you had to pay to see me. I didn't want that, that American money thing to you know, be attached. You know what I mean by that? I didn't want that negative. I want to build proper relationships with the people and the pastors. And, but I had to adjust because in their life, the, the money they have is so precious to them that when they sow it, it's a big deal of honor and that God does what he says and they believe in good soil and not giving into bad soil. And it's very big to them. Where you and my country, we have an attitude about money. Especially if it's American in town preaching. Because some of my fellow Americans have really done some bad things in the name of money. But you can't let the dumb Americans that have done that remove you from what the Bible does say about those things. You still got to work with the word even though they misused or took them out of context. And so that, that whole thing, we have a problem with money. And why is Nigerian building a church, you can come back to one of the pictures, that's already paid for it by Nigerians. I thought Africans were poor. Because that's all I see on my American TV is naked Africans, poor Africans, and little shanty towns African. These people, God has prospered. And he's prospered them two ways. With good jobs, and the revelation of sowing and reaping Amen. what the Bible says about it. And they do both. They are very entrepreneur. See, over here we got people that want to prosper without working. And that is, it's not, that's not right. God wants you to have a good job. He wants you to make good money on the job. He wants you to be a worker and be a light and a witness in the marketplace for him by how you work and what you do. And he wants you to prosper and have good financial return. And then also with your tithing and giving. And these people have gone from... Poor, broke Africa to doing things like this. The people in the church, you talk to them, oh, this is a medical person, and they were, they were poor in a village with only underwear, running around as a kid. They tell stories like that. Now they're the main doctors with a nice house and BMWs and paying for the, the sick and doing medical things for because God's prospered them because they got a job and were educated and they sowed and all those things that have created that great wealth where now they can be a blessing. And that's their whole lifestyle. Let's bless the man of God. Let's bless the people of God. Let's take care of the hungry here. Let's take care of the poor here. And so it's not just the church. It's the wealthy Christians that are doing it themselves. They, they almost have their own ministry without calling it a ministry. I met so many. I take care of these people. I feed these people. I do this with these group. Of, they all had something that they were doing and paying for. And it wasn't a select few. It was everybody. Others, because they had more resources, had it on a bigger scale. But folks who were just starting, they had, they, they had 
somehow they would help him because it's a part of their culture of being generous. Can you get that in your life, Canada? Because yes. if you can give like that, God will take care of you and bless your nation more than it has already. Amen. I was, let me tell you the story, then we're going to pray. You've enjoyed tonight's message? Yes. I just felt like I wanted to give a testimony. I hardly ever do this. But it, it was a big deal for me to go here, and it changed my life because I was in a place, like I said a few moments ago, like, is this really real? All these things I've been fighting for, maybe I was just in a wave of God at that time, and, and that which I've drank and, and, and enjoyed, I may never get it. I was going through that because it was so, in, in the lower 48 here, it is, it's, it's terrible. Just to be very honest with you, you have individual churches that may be on fire, but we don't have a national move yet. We don't, it, it's not like what I grew up in where the whole nation was being rocked by the, the Word of Faith revival or the Charismatic revival or the Jesus People revival. I mean, it was sweep of, that's not happening at the moment. I hope it comes very soon. Yeah. If it keeps getting darker, it's really going to be fun when it does show up. <laughs> but I'd like for it to show up like tonight would be very nice for it to start <laughs> and let it roll across Canada. But I, when I went there, I realized I wasn't crazy. What I was believing for, what I had tasted as a child, I wanted to live in as an adult. And I found that I came back like, let's go for it on this. So I go to Africa, and, and, and I had this back issue. When I get up in the morning, it takes me a little bit while to get my get up and go, to get up and go. You've got you to kind of help push it because there's a little bit of pain and discomfort there when you first get up. And, and sometimes it's very painful. And so I had that, but I didn't have the same pain that I had, I had before the surgery. It was just all the after effects. And I went to my home church there in Bradenton, and they prayed for me. And I got a little bit of relief. I didn't get a total miracle. I got a little bit of a miracle. And so I was happy about that, but I wasn't totally healed. I still had problems where I couldn't stretch and do the things I normally do and exercise because of the, of the, of the situation. So I get off the plane, and they swoop you down to the nice hotel, and they will dine you and take care of you and put me in this nice room. And I go to bed, and... I wake up and jump out of bed and start my day, and, and I realize later I thought, I didn't have to take a pain pill. I, don't, I didn't even recognize any pain getting out of bed. So I thought it must be an African mattress. So, <laughs> great man of faith that I am. <laughs> didn't even register it could be a miracle. I thought, it's an African mattress. I'm going to ship one of these home. And uh, so... I went back because it kind of hit me during lunch. I thought, so I went back to my room and I took all the sheets off to see what kind of mattress it was. And it was just a boring little African mattress. There was nothing special about it. I thought, okay, well, I'll still ship it home if it is that wonderful for me. And then the next day, it happened to me again. And it dawned on me on the third day that I had been healed. Amen. Sitting in the auditorium, sitting in the church. No one knew about my back. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't, I just dealt with it myself. And I thought, I gotta see if this is real. So I tried to do everything you should not do when I had that back problem. <laughs> I did all my stuff. I tried to hurt it. I bent over. I picked up stuff. I thought, this is really working. I'm gonna wait till the last day before I tell the church to make sure it's real. Great man of faith. And so every day I get up and I do my exercise I couldn't do before, and I do a little extra push and pull on my back to, to make it hurt, trying to make it hurt, hurt, hurt. Couldn't find it. And finally, I realized I've been healed in all the pain. Even this morning, I got up and did my exercises with no pain in my back. So, so I, I get there and I get up. And I said, I have, I have a testimony. Now, they, they really reverence the man of God. 
So for me to tell this, sometimes some of the, some of the people would not do it. I tell everything. So there's nothing to, to hide. There's nothing to gossip. I've already told everybody, so don't have to worry about it. I learned years ago, whatever you tried to hide, somebody's going to tell it. So just be real and be honest and don't worry about it and let it fly. And so that's where I've been. I lived happy because I live like that. And so I got up and I said, all right, this big crowd here on, it was on the, the prayer night. I had about an hour to preach because I was a guest. And I said, I have a testimony because they had testimonies every night. It went on for like 45 minutes. They testified of everything. I said, I have one. So the pastor always interviews the person that, does the, that, that, that got healed. So I said, I need the pastor to come up here and interview me. So I went down and got my little place where they all stood in this one little part of the stage and waited. So I went and got my little line and let the pastor say, I have a testimony. And they all were laughing. And so I want, to, I, want, I want him to know. I said, I have a testimony. And he didn't even know. And I gave the whole story I just gave you. And I bent over and I touched my toes. I said, I've done everything. I said, I got healed just sitting here in this chair. And I want to give God thanks for my miracle. If you get inside of these places where God's moving, you can get your miracle. Without being prayed for or touched, or you could. I, I didn't even. I didn't go expecting a healing. I wasn't expecting to have a great preaching thing. But besides that, I got healed. God zapped my back in Nigeria with a bottle of pain pills in my room. And I'm so glad to give that testimony of healing that it's still like that today. I got up this morning, did my exercises, and pulled and pushed it up. Still there, and I text him about every month and tell the pastor, I'm still healed, by the way, because I think it's good that people know that the miracle has lasted and done that. Did you enjoy tonight? I, I hope you have. Hope you've enjoyed the, the testimony of the Nigerian revival. And when all this COVID stuff's over, you should all go with me to Nigeria and have a good time. Uh, just bring Canadian earplugs so you don't go deaf while you're there. And it'll be exciting, because I, I think it's always great to take people where God is moving like that and get you in that atmosphere. And all of a sudden, all the stuff that bothers you here gets blown out real fast, and you come alive, and you come back home with a new kind of faith and commitment and for your church and for the nation, and it's so exciting. So, uh, you know, we, we don't want to be envious, but we want to be provoked. Amen. And I think revival provokes all of us. Yes. Can you say amen? amen? Father, we thank you tonight for your beautiful hand that has come upon us just to take a moment and have a testimony service yeah. to testify about something that we saw and we experienced and, and to give you the glory for it because we recognize it is your working that caused all these things to be. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening today. We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327 or you can write to us at Unit 2A, 13139 80th Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3W3B1.